of Exodus, if you would please. Exodus, and we'll be looking at chapter 27. Exodus, chapter 27. We're doing a study for those of you who are visiting with us this morning on the tabernacle, the wilderness, and we're finding that God invested in that tabernacle some principles that are still working today. God has not changed. Dispensations change. We do not worship at a tabernacle any longer of this type. And yet there are some unchanging principles that God has communicated through the tabernacle that still apply to our lives in 1984. And I'm wondering this evening, this morning, if we could just begin by uh, maybe there are some points that you would feel are worth remembering. We've talked about this for uh, a number of weeks now, and maybe there's been some things that you feel that are significant enough that we should remember them this morning, something that, that has been particularly of, of interest or particularly uh, helpful to you that has been communicated uh, from this time of study, uh, something that you feel has uh, helped you or opened your eyes to something or uh, made something more clear. Do we have anything like that? Or is it... Uh, hello. I mean, sister. Okay. That this is a uh, one of the most significant truths of what we've talked about, that God wanted it done according to pattern. If you and I were to take that, we could make all kinds of alterations on that tabernacle. We could cut some corners. I mean, instead of gold, just, uh, you know, some, uh, we could just paint some gold spray paint on it, and uh, that would look almost as good, and it wouldn't cost as much. We could uh, make all kinds of alterations and changes there's some things that aren't too pretty about this uh, tabernacle we'll see. The, the badger skins dyed red when we talked about that. Yuck! Badger skins dyed red? And, uh, you know, now God, uh, that, that, that doesn't look nice. Well, we could, we could change all kinds of things that, that don't fit with our sensibilities or might be more practical, and uh, yet God says, do see that you make it according to the pattern. And that still applies to you and I today. Because there's a lot of things that, that we might theoretically like to change uh, or alter about the Word of God, but it's following the pattern that brings revival. Amen? Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. Brother Kelly. Okay, good. Amen. Yes, our uh, problem uh, is not making sure that God is... Uh, uh, so much where we are, but where we are, where God is. Uh, uh, just, uh, you know, Abraham Lincoln uh, was asked that uh, before a certain cabinet meeting during the Civil War, he said, let's pray that God would be on our side. He says, no, let's pray that we be on God's side. Amen. That makes all the difference in the world. We want God to line up behind our program. Well, let's make sure we get involved in God's. 
program, that we place God where He is to be. We acknowledge God as the center and then build our lives around that. Good thought. Excellent. Now, that was a real revelation to me, an understanding of what that was all about. Yeah, imputed righteousness is a difficult thing for us to get a handle on and for us to conceptualize. But here in the tabernacle, our brother says, uh, there is a wonderful picture of that, that the righteousness which at one time was a barrier, when we enter through the gate, now that righteousness surrounds us. And so we are covered and surrounded by the righteousness of God, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are now in relationship through Him, simply by an act of faith, simply by entering in by faith. It was not by the actions and not by the works, but simply entering in. And so we've been united. That righteousness of Jesus has been made our own, and we've been made united. We've been made right with God and able to have relationship with God. Excellent. Anybody else? You have some thoughts that were helpful to you, something that maybe there's some questions that uh, need to be clarified, some things that you have, uh, have not been made clear to you that you are not understanding at this point. Praise God. Good. Let's uh, move on and let's look at Exodus chapter 27 and let's just read uh, verse 16. Someone that could read that for us nice and loud. We want to finish up the gate this morning. Brother Rod Olmstead is going to read that for us. We are spending a great deal of time on the gate and uh, there are some reasons for that, and uh, we won't be giving this amount of time to every single place or piece of furniture in the tabernacle, but the gate does symbolize the person of the Lord Jesus so much that we must uh, spend some extra time looking at that. So, <coughs> pardon me, Brother Olmstead, if you could read Exodus chapter 27, verse 16. Okay. And so these, uh, in what ways, how does this gate uh, picture the Lord Jesus? I just said that, but uh, how does this gate picture Jesus Christ? Bill? Okay, good. And we're talking about a king here. Something else? Okay. Okay, we've got... Uh, we've got blue for his deity, the blue relating to heaven, obviously. We've got uh, the purple relating to royalty. Uh, we've got the, the uh, scarlet relating to uh, sacrifice. And what else does the red picture, uh, Victor? For man, okay. Adam, the first man, was uh, Adam means red. Uh, this is, he was made out of the clay of the ground, and so we have the picture not of uh, of a deity and humanity together. And one more picture that was there, Sam. Okay, all right. Just the, in terms of just the similar ministries that we see there, the the only access to to the tabernacle, the only access to righteousness. Uh, is also the uh, the picture uh, and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Ron, did you have enough? Okay, and so interwoven in all of this is the white linen too that is the righteous character of God. See, His by letting us in 
He has not compromised his righteousness. That's the, that's the paradox and the difficulty. How to be just and justifier. How can God, who is holy, allow sinful man to have relationship with him and still remain just and not compromise his righteousness? And that's what this is all about. Uh, good. Was there another hand that I didn't see? Okay, good. So we're talking about this. We've talked about a number of things, but we need to move on so we're, we won't get bogged down here. And uh, let's talk about the, uh, the responsibility for righteousness and uh, let me just ask you this. What is the first step that you need to make? What's the first thing that you need to do? Or what's the first thing that needs to happen if you're going to get saved? See some. Christian? Okay. Realize you're a sinner. Good. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. You realize your sinfulness. You uh, you humble yourself publicly. Okay. But before you get through that gate, what do you what have you got to do? All right. And before you do that, what do you got to do, uh, Mike? Okay, what, what's, uh, if we're going to... Okay, and what's involved in that word repent? That's good. Stir over here. Okay, you have to, it's, it involves your will. You have to separate yourself from, from, the, and from the rest of the people, look to who God is and move in that direction. Okay, and that involves what? <laughs> uh, what? A decision. All right. A decision. <laughs> Praise God. All right. The gate, the gate is not a black hole. Okay. Does anybody know what, what a black hole is? Somebody tell us what a black hole is. No? Okay, and why is there no light, do they theorize, coming out of there? Uh, Dwayne? Because of the gravity, they feel that it sucks everything in, and even light cannot make its way out. And so anything that comes by is sucked right in. So the gate isn't a black hole. You don't walk by, and you're just sucked into the tabernacle. We'll say, well, that's crazy. We know that that's not true. But this morning, if you believe in eternal security, then that's exactly what you believe. If you believe once saved, always saved, then that's based on a misunderstanding of predestination, which makes uh, the gate a black hole. You walk by and you're sucked in. You don't decide. It's not an act of your will. Oh, oh that's, that's just a, a little motion that you go through, but that's uh, not really necessary because uh, uh, you must be saved. You're chosen to be saved, and so you must be saved. The, uh, the five points of Calvinism, uh, tulip, 
Uh, you've got, uh, what, total depravity, a, a number of things, and right down uh, the fourth is irresistible grace. Irresistible grace means that when God's drawing you, there's no way. You cannot resist. You must get saved if He's drawing you. And if He's not drawing you, then there's no way you can get saved. And if you come forward and get saved, and He didn't want you to get saved, He's going to get really upset. Because only people that He draws, and the gate as a type does not teach this. The gate is not a black hole. The gate, as we've said, all of these comments are true, and they all come down to the fact that before you get saved, you've got to make a decision. You've got to say, I want to be saved. Before you even uh, pray a sinner's prayer, before you exercise faith, it involves a desire, it involves a decision. See, a tabernacle, the tabernacle and salvation is that God makes a plan available. The tabernacle was available. The tabernacle was accessible to all Israel. But nobody was dragged in there. It wasn't a black hole that they were sucked in as they were walking by. If you were going to enter in, it was going to involve your personal decision. And you would only be reconciled to God, not by His irresistible drawing that you could not say no to, but involved your making a decision to be reconciled with God. Amen. Let's look at some scriptures. 1 Timothy 2.4. Someone over here. George Shields. Romans 10.11 and 13. Bob Corsi. 2 Peter 3.9. Dave Burke. Ezekiel uh, 18.23. Brother Bernier. And verse 32. Uh, did I? Did you get that? 18, 23, and 32. And Mike Elsis, Ezekiel 33, 11. I want to quote from uh, Mr. Calvin this morning and his doctrine, how he interprets predestination. He says, By predestination, we mean the eternal decree of God by which he determined in himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. All are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation. We say then, the Scripture clearly proves this much, that God by His eternal and immutable counsel determined once for all those whom it was His pleasure one day to admit to salvation and those whom, on the other hand, listen to this, it was His pleasure to doom to destruction. So Calvin is saying that predestination means that God shows in His eternal decrees back before all time, He chose some He was pleased to save, and some it pleased Him to send to hell for all eternity. Before they were ever born, before any decision, they could come to an altar call. They could do whatever they pleased. They could, they could uh, respond in faith. That's, uh, uh, it, that doesn't matter. They've been decreed that God is pleased to send them to the lake of fire for all eternity. Okay, the gate is not a black hole. Let's look at what the Bible says. 
First Timothy two four. Okay, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? All. Not he's chosen some and some he hasn't. All. That doesn't mean that everybody's going to get saved, but that is God's will. God desires that, that men be saved. Romans 10, 11 and 13. 11 through 13, sorry. Okay, not whosoever, as long as they've been decreed, whosoever, if they've been uh, preordained, whosoever, as long as they aren't the ones that have been relegated to eternal damnation, the Bible says whosoever, anybody, can come and call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Okay, he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Calvin says, there are some it is his pleasure to save, and there are others it is his pleasure to damn. Ezekiel 1823 and 32. Okay, was that both verses there? Okay, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Calvin says that he's pleased, pleases him to send some to hell. And then we'll say, well, that doesn't sound like God to me. Well, you just need more faith. You just need to believe, whether you can understand God or not. But see, it's not just what we might think about God in our minds, it's what the Word of God says. Brother? Yes. Yes. Okay. And and the uh, the Calvinist way of presenting this is God's glory is tantamount. God's glory is uh, to be above everything else. And uh, if he if he's glorified by sending people to hell, then uh, then that uh, as long as that brings glory to God. That's fine. Now, that is fine. If sending people to hell glorifies God's righteousness, then fine. But, not without a man's choice. Not simply allowing that to happen without any, without any choice whatsoever. That a man just going to go to hell, he hears the gospel, responds, makes a decision, and... I understand God's going to be glorified when He sends, when He judges the world, when He, when people are cast in the lake of fire. That's going to vindicate the righteousness of God. But it's going to be men that have chosen to live in sin. Amen. Uh, chapter thirty-three, eleven. Okay, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I'm not pleased with that. He says, turn. My, his call was for those people to turn, to come back to him. Ezekiel says it was never his pleasure. He has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
There's no qualification there. There's no, uh, this, is the, this is the thing, that if all these scriptures and multitudes of others, you have to put in uh, a parenthesis that doesn't even exist, that's not even there. Well, whosoever, as long as it's okay with God, whosoever, as long as he hasn't already decided to send them to hell, whosoever. But see, the Bible makes none of those qualifications. And the Bible says uh, that whosoever, that he is not willing that any should perish, he wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Whosoever will, not whosoever must. God is a person, and God wants a voluntary relationship. God is interested in the choice of our will. See, this is the teaching of the Word of God. No one just drifted into this gate. No one simply uh, just kind of stumbled on. It was a gate of separation. You just didn't stumble in by accident. You weren't pulled in by the high priest. You didn't, they didn't set up a, a little string and pull it up uh, so people would trip and fall in if they were the ones that were ordained that day. It involved a decision, a conscious choice. See, when you talk to people and, and you say, well, uh, are you saved, my friend? And they say, well, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm saved. Uh, well, uh, when did you get saved? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I think I've always been saved. I, I don't know. I just woke up one morning and I was saved. I, I just, uh, this just happened to me. I, I uh, you know, one time I, uh, my car veered off the road and, and it get, went back on the road and, and I was saved. And, and uh, all of these things, but the being saved means that there's a point in time when you made a choice. You can look back on that. And say, I remember. You might not know the date and the time, but you remember the moment that you decided for Jesus. That's right. That's exactly right. And so there's see the the problem is is that when you're talking to Calvinists, you're talking to people who always milk down Calvinism. When I I had the historical theology. And uh, uh, when I was in school, and uh, so uh, my Bible professor came up and he said, I believe that God has ordained some uh, to salvation, and those are the ones that he's predestinated. But I do not believe that God has predestined some to go to hell. Well, that's a total absurd statement. That's totally off the wall. And that man lived and existed under that deception, smiling and thinking that somehow he had worked it all out because he wasn't ascribing to God something that his first premise demanded that he believe. Because if God has, has ordained that some be saved, then it follows that God must have ordained that others go to hell. And there's no two ways about it, but whenever, this is the thing, when you talk to them, it's always the milk-down version. It's always the version that, uh, that becomes more acceptable, only the paradoxes uh, that, they, that exist in their mind cancel each other out. And so they end up believing fallacies and, uh, and things that cannot be substantiated.
Okay, the, the God it's involving a choice. God obviously does foreknow. God knows who is and who is not going to be saved. God knows everything, right? But that it does not mean that God is choosing some to be saved and some not to be saved. I can be up in a helicopter and watch one car come down, uh, uh, you know, on one side of a hill, one on the other, see that on the both sides of the road, I can see that they're about to crash. I can do whatever I can, wave my hands, scream, shout. But when those two things hit, I knew that was going to happen. But I didn't cause it. I didn't make that happen. Yes. Yes. When William Carey preached on lengthen thy cord, strengthen thy stakes, uh, and preached that uh, challenge to world missions to a church that had uh, been totally uh, anesthetized by this doctrine, godly men stood up and said, uh, Brother Carey, God will save the heathen when God is pleased to save the heathen. We can just stay here in England and just preach and have a wonderful time. And if God wanted people to be saved, then he would do it. And that's the working of that doctrine. That somehow you can walk by and say, well, that guy, you know, he looks kind of mean. But if he's preordained, then he'll get saved anyways. And somebody else will probably get to him. I mean, he has to get saved. But you say that to a Calvinist, well, <coughs> well you, know, there need, you know, there's the human will that, uh, and all of that, but that's what happens. That's the logical conclusion. Good. Why are you so vehement, Brother Foley? Well, I've been there, amen, and I see what it does. Brother Herman. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Once saved, always saved. Doesn't matter what I do. And not everybody that believes that doctrine lives like that. Okay, there's godly people that believe that doctrine. But the fruit is exactly what our brother's talking about. You just live however you want. I'm saved. I can't lose out. Sister? No, he's, he, uh, there are a lot of churches that grew out of uh, his doctrine, but there's uh, uh, Baptist uh, Reformed th theology, uh, Presbyterians, uh, just, uh, you know, it's all, all through. Morgan? Right, yeah. That he didn't die for the world. Right? He didn't die for the world. God so loved the world, well, some of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, as long as they were ordained, should not perish as long as they were the, but have everlasting life, if they were chosen. Come on. Uh -huh. Okay. All right. Good. Let's move on. The curtain is not an iron gate. It's a curtain. A little child could come and decide and step through a senior citizen.
could uh, could walk up and and move that to the side it was for it was available for anyone amen it was for whosoever revelation 22:17 someone over on this side please we need we need to hear from our friends uh, sam okay a decision to enter well a decision to enter also requires a decision to stay okay we enter by decision and we can leave by decision let's uh, look at this one verse revelation 22:17 brother sam okay and whosoever will okay we make a decision We are told that, well, once a son, always a son, you're born again. You didn't have any, you were born, you couldn't stop being born. You were, you were born, once born, always born. Uh, once a son, always a son. Natural birth is uh is a, a one-time thing and then you're alive for the rest of your life you can't die and be born and this and that but what's the problem with this understanding of once a son always a son once you've been born always been born second is a conscious decision of my part okay see the real difference is that when i was born i had no choice in the matter I, when my uh, children were born, they had no choice when they were coming, and my wife had no choice about when they were coming. They were coming, and that's uh, there were powers uh, that were beyond uh, our control. And so this is the great difference why you cannot relate the two, because salvation comes by a conscious decision, and which the natural expressions do not come by a conscious decision and so in the same way a conscious decision we can stop being a son and we can stop being born again we can stop this life we can make a decision to enter and we can make a decision to stay but it's not something that uh, we can relate to uh, totally across the board uh, because these are natural and as our brother said there are some supernatural there are some volitional things some choice things that are involved amen see John uh, 3 6 talks about being born again that's a decision that you have to make which is not true with a natural birth see the Bible also well is are there any other comments on that before we go on amen amen yeah god uh, will do what god will do uh, but it's up to us to make the choice amen see the other go ahead okay all right god still has a purpose for the nation of israel but in terms of individuals uh, that's a, a choice that they have to make just because god has a purpose for uh, for Israel still that doesn't mean that every Jew uh, just because he's born is going to be saved there is a conscious choice that has to be made 
See, the other thing is that the Bible is full of warnings and admonitions to continue in the faith and not to backslide. There are warnings about apostasy. Acts 21, 21. Does somebody uh, find that? Dave Cassio in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Dave Burke. Uh, while, while I'm calling out these scriptures, why don't we get these other ones here? Uh, Matthew 24, 4 and 5. Dennis John Staples, Matthew 24, 11 through 13. Uh, Randy John 15, 1 through 6. Uh, Cindy Hines, Acts 11, 21 through 23. Uh, Brother Bernier, uh, Acts 14, 21 and 22. Uh, ben, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Uh, Hebrews 10, 26. Uh, Bill, uh, I'm sorry, Bob Kimball and John 3, 16. Mike Elsis. Amen. Okay. Warnings about apostasy. Warnings about backsliding. Which leaves our eternal security friends with some real difficulties. Why, why warn? Well, they come up with some interesting explanations for that. And, uh, but we want to see that there are warnings in the Word of God. Acts 21.21. 21. Okay, we're using that simply for the uh, word there for sake, which uh, has to do with a, uh, a divorcing, a burning of the title deed, a contract of renunciation. And this uh, is also picked up in Second uh, Thessalonians uh, 2.3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come the falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Okay, let's look at these other scriptures. Matthew 24, 4 and 5. Okay, it's, they shall be deceived, and he's telling his people, don't be deceived which is really stupid if they can't be deceived. Okay, uh, 11 through 13. He that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. John 15, 1 through 6. Okay, does anybody know what your response would be if you were eternal security advocate and you and someone just read that to you? What, what's your patent response? Someone. Dave Cassio? Okay, they are actually, who, what is their identity? How would we, how, what, in our, say in this body right here, who would these people be? They were, they're the unconverted members of the church. Now, what's wrong with that? Or is there anything wrong with that? Dave? 
Okay. Right. Good. No. Okay. See, this is the vine. These are the branches. Okay. This vine isn't the church. The vine is Jesus. Okay. Jesus says, he's not saying, well, uh, some of the branches that are on the church aren't real branches and they'll be cast. He's talking about in me. Your branches that have grown from me, that have the, my life flowing through you. And so we're, what they're doing is they're placing the church in place of Jesus. Jesus didn't say that. The branches are joined to the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is those. Uh, and so they've had the life of God, and yet they can refuse to abide. And that doesn't mean that, well, they'll still be saved. No, they'll be cut off and they'll be thrown into the fire, and they'll be burned. Okay, Victor? Yeah, yes. Okay, let's, um, let's move on. Um, I'll tell you what we'll do. You just hold on to those other scriptures. You wrote them down, I, I hope, and you can look at those. Those are a number of warning passages. Let's just look at one more, Hebrews 10.26. Who had that? Hebrews 10.26. Uh, Bob. Okay. Let's look at this. Is the peril of falling away real? Some think not. These warnings are God's means of ensuring that people who can't backslide won't. Okay? The mere fact that travelers are... Here's a quote from Burkhauer. The mere fact that travelers are warned that there is a ditch alongside the road does not mean that they'll fall into it. The warnings must not lead us to suppose that they will or can. God warns believers simply because, as rational beings, they are so constituted as to require motivation. He therefore appeals to their fears to keep them on the path. But the warnings do not prove that the believers will fall. On the contrary, they are the means of uh, ensuring that they shall not fall. Okay, the Bible abounds with needful alarming admonitions perseverance is is inevitable and does not depend on us but on god's grace why the alarm because he fears he might fall but there is no alarm because his perseverance is guaranteed the similar logic is the barefoot boy with boots on stood sitting on the grass okay here's do Here's the warnings, here's the admonition, here all through the Bible, the whole book of Hebrews, as as some commentators call it, uh, the book of warning. And it's all irrelevant, because we can't fall anyways. So it's just making sure that people who can't backslide won't. And God has has made sure that that's uh, in the Word of God. Are there any other questions, comments, before we move on, uh, Brother Noel? Yes, amen. We'll, uh, you know, so to the flesh, so to the, uh, Sister Harris. Yes. Yes, it's, it's a choice of your will. We would like to think that it's just honest people looking at Scripture, but I can't believe that. 
because I believed eternal security and how my faith in eternal security was undermined was by reading the Bible. And I just read the Bible. Boy, I'm nervous. Boy, (laughs) once saved, always saved, didn't they tell me? Uh, and I'd read more and more and, and then I'd, I'd look at and I'd hold on to one that said uh, the, oh this is for sure and I, then uh, I said no he says uh, he that uh, uh, my sheep they, they'll hear my voice and, and no man will be able to pluck them out of my hand well that's me that's uh, uh, yeah but what's a sheep the verse before says he that hears my voice and follows me I, you know uh, and so I I believe, as our sister said, that an honest reading of the Word of God. Uh, Spurgeon said these words. Spurgeon was eternal security. He says, uh, uh, the strength of the, uh, the conditional salvation is in the English, but eternal security is upheld in the original. Well, that's baloney, Chuck. <laughs> because the, all that... Uh, all that it comes through in the uh, in the Word of God. Uh, the the Greek present tense was a which is a continual tense, and so every present tense that has to do with believe, I before is, is all continue to believe, continue to believe, and so the strength of our argument is not just in English, but it's also in the Greek. And I wish I could hear your comments, but we must close. Amen. Thank you.